So welcome to Grace Bible Church Midtown. If you're here for your first time, my name is OJ, Otto Javier Lemus Pineda, but I go by OJ uh, Lemus, uh, OJ as orange juice, not something else. Keep a note. Uh, and it's just a pleasure to have you here. If you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been challenged in the last month with some changes, and we are really pressing on for what God is doing in this place. And we're just excited for what the Lord will do here. Amen? And so we are about to start a new series. Every other campus is doing Romans, but we're, we're praying for something that is actually crafted for our campus and they can encourage you and others that come with you to find and follow Jesus. So can you tell to the person next to you, estás listo? That means, are you ready? I hope that you're ready, okay? Let's go. So I want you to keep this in mind. What other witness in us during a Sunday morning should be an echo of our daily walk with Jesus? Let's go again. What other witness in us during a Sunday morning should be an echo of our daily walk with Jesus? Lo que otros ven en nosotros los domingos debería ser un echo de nuestro caminar diario con Jesús. And we're going to be digging into what's being a disciple and what's uh, uh, the effect of Jesus calling you to be a disciple. Now, let me tell you something. In our society, I, I'm considering myself now, uh, now an honorary Texan. Uh, in, in our gigam barbecue brisket, right? <laughs> in our society, not only Texas, in our society, being a disciple of Christ can look a little different to what it looked a few thousand years ago. And that's not to uh, attack you, you know, or that's not to uh, make you feel uh, like with a burden that, that, that you cannot achieve something. But it's actually to make us reflect what is really to being a disciple. But before we dig into that, today is actually, uh, in Guatemala you have two weddings. One is the legal one. You go on a private ceremony with a lawyer. Uh, with you and your future wife, in my case. So you go in a private ceremony, and then you sign all the legal documents. That's what I consider that is the uh, marriage license here. Uh, but, but, it's, but you're legally married right there. And so seven years ago, Nere and I, we got married in Guatemala legally. Uh, so you can congratulate her, or you can pray for her. You do either one of those, okay? Both are appreciated. And so I always said that there's uh, always a uh, before and after Nere, you know, for me. And so before Nere, you know, I was this guy who was very relaxed. I actually uh, relate a lot with David Santos, uh, wherever he is, you know. Those who know David, we're kind of like twinsies, you know, before. So there's great hope for him, you know. <laughs> but I love you, David. I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, there's always a before and after. Your best is yet to come, I always tell him. Uh, there's always a before and after. You know, I was very uh, just relaxed, dude. You know, I mean, it was not that I'm stressed now. Uh, but just to clarify, I was, there was a before and after. And so uh, let me show you a picture, okay, just to show you. I was already serving as a 
as a mission pastor back in Guatemala. I was, I was you know, just like leading and, and training people and everything. But this is actually a picture from our legal wedding day, you know. Uh, and that is before Neres OJ. Uh, so as you can see, uh, there's a characteristic that has always been around. Um, and, 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 and I will say, you know, I was pretty comfortable at that time. But then I realized how beautiful was my wife, you know, and as beautiful as she is, I was not going to make her beautiful by me looking not that pretty, you know. And so I start to working out and I start to really putting a lot of effort. And so something came to, to me, what I call my golden age, what I actually call my prime time, you know. Sorry, this is not about me, I promise. So prime OJ came, you know, and you can see a little difference. Still leading, you know, uh, mission trips to the mountains, building school, and then I went too far, and you can see that I look very, very skinny. Uh, but this is what I call my prime time, you know. It's, it's what, I, what I call, like, I was, I was fit. I was able to, to jump, you know. I was able to sprint without, uh, you know, just hurting myself. Uh, and that actually happened two weeks ago. I hurt myself just doing a little sprint. And so I'm, in a, I'm in, a, in, in a place right now where I'm trying to get back to that season. Last year, I quit to sodas. No sodas for a year. And guess what? No sodas for a year. This year is no sugar. Ugh, hard, right? Especially no ice cream and processed sugar, which is basically everything in our food, right? Uh, and so far, I'm doing great. I can only do once a month. Only once a month. And so if you see me, you know, eating an ice cream, just let me, please. Because that's probably my only time in the month. Uh, but let's think about it. Many athletes, I did that, many athletes have what they call their prime, you know. And, and when you think on all these great athletes, uh, you will see, you know, Lionel Messi, which is the real football, what we're talking about. You know, Messi, you know, is scoring goals in El Santiago Bernabeu, the home of Real Madrid's Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, and putting his jersey and saying, you know, I am the boss here. Or Ronaldo, you know, going back to Camp Nou in Barcelona and scoring a goal for, for disqualifying the, the, the Barcelona and saying, calma, calma, I am here, you know. And then you see some other athletes, you know, who have achieved their prime. And the prime is something that many people want to stay on. But sometimes... It just lasts for such a short time of period. And then the decline comes, the value on the market starts falling, you know, uh, after winning maybe so many gold medals, you know, it's, it's harder, that requires more training, and just takes you to a spot where, uh, you know, you start considering to go into a better or easier spot. And that happens to athletes. Now, why am I telling you this? Because many of us in the Christian life, we think that there's a prime in our life. We consider that we have the best years, you know, when we were, what, maybe 20s, 30s, or maybe the first few years after you came to Christ. Put a pin on that. Just remember, okay? Put a pin on that. We'll come back to this thought. Because what I want to take you in Luke 9 we're actually going to read Luke 9. And I want to I wanna ask you to, to just go with me. I don't have all the verses 
on the screen, and I'm not going to ask you guys right now. I want to read them, but I want you to follow me either in your Bible or in your phone. Remember what we talk. There is a way that maybe in the church on these days in America, what we consider being a disciple is not what Jesus really called his disciples to do. And maybe we're more focusing just on getting to heaven more than actually doing what God is calling us to do here today in this time. So Luke 9 is one of the best places that you can find, you know, to see how Jesus wanted to help people to understand what it really meant to follow him. Being a disciple, you know, it's about follow him. Actually, the word disciples in Greek, uh, which is, I actually practice this one, matitis, you know, uh, means a student, a learner, an apprentice, someone who follows the teaching of another, learning and adhering to the teachings and practices of a teacher or master. Back in Guatemala, when I was uh, learning about what it means to be a disciple, we, we used to say, it's, all, it's someone who carries the same destiny as his master. Alguien que lleva el destino de su maestro. Now think about it. What it means to be a disciple of Christ. I think you know where I'm getting, right? You are, you're, you're following me. So in Luke 9, Jesus redefines the concept of disciple and elevates it from merely being a follower to someone who really, really dedicates their entire life to his teachings and to who Jesus is. So I know our time is very limited, and so we're not going to be able to go to all Luke 9, but we're going to really tap on this one. Commissioning of the 12 disciples when Jesus predicts his death, his death and then the cost of following Jesus. Because, amen, because Following Christ is going to be probably one of the most, it's going to be the most challenging things that you're going to do in your life. But I got to tell you, you're going to see so many rewarding things. Maybe not here, maybe in heaven, but it's, it's incredible. So come with me. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 6. And he says, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 3, he said, take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their faith. So they have begun, so they began their circuit to the villages, preaching the goods the good news, and healing the sick, the sick people, sorry. So, when you see this, 
there are some examples that we can take for our lives. Maybe you're thinking on going on a short mission trip soon. And Jesus actually sent them in a short mission trip. But maybe you can consider either going to a short-term mission trip or start serving for a time frame here in church. Maybe teaching to our kids, to our youth, to our college students. In this case, Jesus calls the disciples and then he did a little briefing and then a little assessment of what really happens. But he confers power and authority and it's because of the Holy Spirit. It's, it, that was, it was, this was before the Spirit dwelling in them. He sends them out two by two. There's an importance on this. It is to proclaim the kingdom of God, the good news. Now, it was little preparation. I don't know how many of you need to plan ahead. I am usually not. But then America spoiled me a little bit. You know, and now I, I, I need to plan ahead for many things. And so that takes a little bit of the flavor of the adventure, right? That's all right. I mean, we need to eat good. That's all right. And make really good pit stops, right? Uh, clean restrooms. But, I mean, there was little time for plan for them. They were really, really in a moment where, where this just caught them by surprise. And so maybe they tried to organize and plan, but there was no planning. He, Jesus helps them to identify the strategy, people of peace, and then to follow to hospitality. And so when you see all this, I don't know about you, but many of us, when we are calling to do something, we want to have the whole outline of what we need to say and do. And that's great. But are we really willing to learn what God has for us as we are going in the process of serving, as we are going in the adventure of serving. Because just to remind you something, here at Midtown, we consider this a church plant, and we have considered that for a long time. We're trying to get into a healthy spot, but there's still so many room for the Holy Spirit to really show us where he wants us to go. Does that make sense? He still want to show where do we want to go and not to have everything figured out. And sometimes we want to have everything figured out. And that's why we're called to deny ourselves. Deny yourself. Many times we want to serve in our own terms. We want to serve if things are comfortable. We want to serve if we have nice AC. If, you know, the restrooms are working properly. If the comfies have nice, if the, if the chairs have a nice comfy cushion. But let me remind you this. The early church didn't have all this. They were coming together. They were not saying, oh, does your house, house have a nice table for all of us to be seated? We're like 75. Uh, no. They were just eager to come together and to witness what God was doing. We're eager just to come and celebrate what the Lord was doing by adding others. And this is something that we cannot forget. If you have a sobremesa, if you are in a Bible study, enjoy the chaos. 
just enjoy it. And then let's, let's, of course, let's plan it and let's bring, you know, others alongside. And as we're building, just enjoy what the Lord is doing. If you have it maybe wanting, you know, to do something, but you, or, or serving any capacity, but you want to have points A, B, C figured out, just pause for a second and allow the Holy Spirit to work through your life. Maybe put you in an uncomfortable spot and then you deny yourself and then you say, okay, this is, this is, I, I, okay, I, I, I need you, Lord, in order to do this. And then you continue to walk in what the Lord is calling you. I know I'm going into this direction with deny yourself because it has so much more to do. Also, it has to do with sin, with, uh, you know, just, just go away from whatever passion is to you. But for a moment, the Lord has placed you in a spot, in a place where we have the opportunity to see something different for the church in America. Something that is going to change the story and the course of this country. So allow yourself to be in that spot where you are just going to be willing to work and get your hands on it. Amen? This is Midtown, remember. You, I put you marimba to put you in a happy mood, okay? So, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, Matthew 16, 24, 25 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. In our culture, going back again, it's more promoted self-fulfillment at the expense of self-denial. And this is very dangerous. This is something that kept put us in a spot where we are longing more for what's given to us instead of seeing what God has done to, through us and how can we get others closest to Jesus. Self-fulfillment is one of the most dangerous things that can happen in our church. We are called to self-deny ourselves in everything that we are. So maybe next time, when, in whatever you are doing, wherever you are, the Lord is asking you to talk to a person. Maybe you are shy. Maybe you're not comfortable because they're from a different culture. Just see what the Lord is doing here and get courage to speak to others because that person might be someone who is longing to have a spiritual conversation or that person might be someone who has been equipped, trained, and has been sent, but he's waiting for the right opportunity to get plugged in the right place. So we have a lot of work to do. We have to stop 
worrying about the way we portray ourselves. And we need to start getting a grasp of what God really can do through our lives. Young people that are in this room, you have so much to give. You're building your career. Maybe you're worried about what's going to be your next job. God is going to take control of that. Believe me, just put yourself in a position of experiencing God. And he will do the rest. Just let's trust him. Let's trust him. And, and, and with this said, you know, something that happened to the disciples and needs to happen to us. We need to carry our cross. Now, I don't know about you. I was going to ask Stacy, you know, she's in the youth right now, to actually help me with a example of what is carrying the cross, you know. And we have a cross around there, but I think, I think that might be too graphic, right? It's a heavy cross. Carrying the cross is not going to be easy. When we think about it, Jesus was carrying in the cross the burden of the world, right? He was carrying everything. Now, when you put yourself in a position of being a disciple and make disciples, believe me, you're going to have more things to deal with. You're going to have more burden. You're going to have more weight on your shoulders. You're going you're gonna to experience some difficulties that are going to just push you to give up and to quit. But it's just about carrying our cross. It's not something that we do by ourselves. Because Jesus did it first, we have been enabled, empowered to actually just look to him and let him carry our burdens. The problem is we, we think that we need to just, just carry them by ourselves. And we're not called to that. We're called to look upon Jesus and fix our eyes in him. Yes, it might be heavy. There's no guarantee in the Christian and the Christianity, for you to being a Christian, that things are going to be easy. Those who decide to follow Christ in the past, those who have uh, uh, the disciples, the apostles, did you see a happy ending in their lives? No. You know how Paul died? You know how every of the disciples died? It was not, it was not pretty. Yet, we want to be called disciples of Christ, but we are not expecting that anything bad happened to us. Or we're not expecting that anything that can be uh, just, just difficult to happen to us. We need to remember being a disciple of Christ is carrying a cross, carrying, carrying, carrying a heavy load. But we fix our eyes in Jesus. And we know that there's an eternal perspective. Luke 9, 12, 17 says, Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to a nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging, and lodging from the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. Going back to carry the cross. What a cross they were about to carry, right? It was just easier for them to dismiss them. It was just easier for them to, you know, wash their hands. They did their job for the day. Excellent. We gather a lot of people. Fantastic. 
more than 5,000 men, not even counting women and kids. Jesus preached, what a great service. Turn on the lights, Nathan, let's go home. No, we have a potluck afterwards, and there's no food. So the disciples were given an impossible task. They need to be feed, they need to feeding, be feeding, you know, 5,000 peoples. They have seen God's provision. Those disciples seen God's provision, but they, they were never ready to be given an impossible task. Never. And so, in their minds, sending them away was the kind thing to do, you know. Let's send them away. You guys are dismissed. Excellent. You know, see you tomorrow, 9 a.m. We start with the worship. Peter is going to be giving a worship, you know. And so just come to that one. Then we're going to break into groups. But no. So they realized that they were inadequate. They were, they were not qualified to feed the to feed to feed uh, the, the 5,000 people. In verse 13, they said, Jesus said, you feed them. And they, they came with the reality, we only have this. We're not qualified. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answer. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for the whole crowd? For there were only about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, Tell them to sit in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down, verse 17, 16. Jesus took the five loaves and five fishes, and two fishes, sorry. Look up towards heaven and bless them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up to 12 baskets of leftover. So those disciples, they have obedient, obedience to the instructions without full explanation. Sometimes when we want to do something, one full explanation, we're not willing to trust. We need to trust. We need to trust that there's going to be a provision that is flown from Jesus and that's it. Now, this is the interesting part. Everyone was filled. Now, I don't know, but 5,000 people, that's a lot. I'm pretty sure if we had a line, you know, and then we have number one here and 5,000 over there, probably 3,547 had no idea if number one ate or if number 5,000 ate. The crowd never find out if everybody ate. The disciples did. And, and that's the thing. Some people might not be able to know the whole panorama. But when you put yourself of being obedient to Christ, you're going to see how Jesus overflows and bless and provides. So don't be afraid of not carrying your cross because he is with us and he is the provider. So. In the eternal perspective, in Luke 9, 18 and 20, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, 
Some say Elijah, and others say that you are one of the other Asians prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but do you say, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Now church, if you don't have an eternal perspective, it is easy to worry too much about the near future, about what's going on right now. But let me tell you this, serving God is a privilege. He doesn't need us. He could make stones rise up and preach the gospel. But God allows us to work alongside him in his great mission of bringing people, neighbors, nations to him. So don't, don't get comfortable thinking that, you know, God needs me. If, if I were to step down today and disappear from this earth, he will be faithful to bring someone else. Probably Enoch. <laughs> you know, but that's how it is. He keeps providing, you know, and then we'll see Philip one day here preaching in Russian. Why not? Listen, the world is fading. Texas A&M students are waiting. Your neighbor is waiting. The neighbors around this community are waiting. Your coworker, your distant cousin, your worst enemy, they are waiting for you to carry your cross and see that there's an eternal perspective beyond your daily work. That is, God, God cares about your work, but he cares more about the unreached. And he wants to use you. He wants to use us. He wants to be with us when we are nervous about bringing truth and the gospel to others. We need to stand up and we need to serve with love, knowing that he called us. El que nos llamó va a continuar siendo fiel. So I always love how First John 316 bring this. I would love to have the TV next week. And I was going to point because it was, what other witness, oh, well, sorry. We know that real love, real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Now, there's a period there. Many of us love this part, right? We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. It would change the us for me. And this sounds fantastic. It's something that you just received. But this verse challenges to something more. So we have to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you're coming for a first time, if maybe you are in a place where you are trying to figure out what God has for you, let me tell you something. He has victory. He has his love. And you're going to experience more than you can imagine with your obedience to Christ. But we need to embrace his love and know that he is empowering, enabling us to give that to others. So 
when you go to this verse, that you are the Christ. Sorry, in Luke 9. You are the Christ. This was just more than a statement. This was a proclamation to all who heard that Jesus was the one. And Matthew 16 says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, think about what this affirmation, what this declaration means. He's standing, in this case, Peter is standing at the edge of maybe heresy, apostasy, or or blasphemy. But he was so sure that he was standing before the Son of God. So, remember this. What other witness in us during a Sunday morning should be an echo of our daily walk with Jesus? Because he's actually calling us to follow him. That follow me is going to take your whole life, not just Sunday morning. But let me tell you, there's nothing more fulfilling for me that preach the gospel out of a Sunday morning setting. It's life-giving because it's actually who we are. You are not just the one that plays, uh, plays the drums, you know, or sing. That's a great way to serve. But God is calling you to be an echo of that every moment of your life. One of the things that I used to do before coming to staff, uh, it was to be an Uber driver in the city, you know, and then drive drunk kids. I haven't, I haven't seen anyone from here, you know, praise God. Um, you know, drive uh, drunk kids, you know, from Norgate to their homes at the mercy of being, you know, that in your car. But I would, that was a way for me to serve uh, people. But I really enjoy conversations that I had with people. Of course, not the drunk people. They don't have conversations. But during, you know, weekdays. And so this week, I was like, okay, I really need to drive. I really need to. It's not raining anymore. So I start having, you know, I start just, just driving around. And I just turn on my app. And then I just got refreshed. Because I had like four different conversations with students. And, and it was just a reminder that it's in our daily life that we're called to spread the gospel. Not to be staff. Not to be in a servant uh, position, you know. That's great. But how powerful is that you in your daily life spread the gospel and be the light. That follow me. It's, it's about trust. You know, it's about Jesus, Jesus is, is presenting him, is presenting the disciples that they need to really just not only listen to the teachings, but do something about it. So church, disciple is not about a position. It's about serving. Verse 23 says, then he said to the crowns, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. The cost of following him, huh, let's make some numbers, no. If you try to hang to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what benefit do you have if you gain the whole world, but you are yourself lost or destroyed? Now, there are those who are willing to be a disciple. This term needs to be redefined. It's really about following him. Jesus, he is now returning to the crowns and he's saying it to all. If anyone wants to follow me, they need to deny himself, which is reorienting their life around his kingdom. Take up the daily cross, which is identifying publicly the message and follow him. That is wherever he is going, we go all the way. Now, let me remind you what I said at the very beginning. In the following weeks, you're going to be listening to punctual examples about what it means to follow him. Find and see. We're calling this series, Benive. Come and see. Because we are praying that you are able to see what God is calling you to do. Now, I call this the charge, right? The calling, the llamado. For our lives, we should deny, take, and follow. We deny ourselves, we take our cross, and we follow him. In the life of others, we deny, we help them to deny themselves, to take the cross, and to follow Jesus. That's the call that we have. What it means to be a disciple is to move beyond curious or being curious about Jesus, who Jesus is, to move it beyond being convinced to even to, to becoming a committed follower or Jesus, as someone who is willing to know and obey his commands and to help others in the same way. This doesn't mean that we stumble, that we don't stumble. The disciples did. Determined to press on to maturity, to love Jesus personally, and to serve him faithfully for all the reminder, the reminding days that he's given us. Preston, you'll be playing for around 10 minutes. No, I'm sorry. By the time we get to Luke 9, you know, he developed large crowds of people who were following him around. They were curious. They were maybe waiting for miracles. They've been maybe trying to see what, how wise or how confrontational, you know, things might say, that Jesus might say, you know. So there were people who were listeners, learners, who followed him for a while, and those who followed him around. But I want to invite you to revisit this note. Remember the pin that we put? Take it. When you serve Christ, there is no prime time. There is no prime season. It's only willing hearts what matters. If you have your Bible, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. 
Tell to your neighbor, you're a masterpiece. Yeah, welcome to Midtown. He has created us anew in Jesus Christ so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. If you're hesitant to serve God, maybe you feel disqualified because of age, gender, education, ethnicity. <laughs> Church, let me assure you on this. God is willing to use anyone who has a willing heart. So just be ready to deny yourself, carry your cross and following him. Now, let me tell you this. Not long ago, maybe you were here, we did a survey about engagement of our people in different areas. But you know, Midtown has the biggest engagement across campuses. Over, I think it's like 70%, you know, can correct me. That's incredible. It's, yes, it's to praise God. But we have pressing needs today. We have places, and, and let me tell you, any area of the church here can be a place where you can practice, can be a place where you can just get the rhythms. That's something that we're trying to do with the college guys, get rhythms. So whenever you are out there, you know how to approach people. Remember, it's an echo. So we wanna invite you to sign up. Maybe you are already connected. Maybe you've been longing for sobremesas. Maybe you've been longing for other areas. If you've been hesitating for a little bit, let me tell you, today is a confirmation for you. Maybe you wanna serve at Midtown. And you're gonna see this QR in the next 10 slides. So don't worry about it, you can, you can scan it. We have pressing needs in our children's ministry. In fact, we have, we have many of you are already serving in our children's ministry. But the problem is because we still need more people to serve in the children's ministry. Every time there's rotations, we need to close classes and that's hurting us. Because our kids are, are missing the opportunity of listening to the gospel. And they listen and hear, but I'm, I'm not that exciting, you know. I'm not that engaging. So we need you. The church needs you. Our kids need you. Because we also want to launch Grace 50 Seats. We see that our kids are growing. Salma está creciendo. She came as a little kid. Now, yeah, she's growing. And so we need Grace 50 Seats. We, we need men and women committed not to have a pulpit, not to uh, uh, have a platform, that's what I'm meaning, a platform, you know, but really eager to engage with young people. So if you're part of the homies, this is a call for you. If you're part of our sobremesas, this is a call for you. Baby, that's a call for you. 
Sorry, this is a call for all of us. Maybe the Lord is calling you to different places. We want you to have community. So we're opening more sobremesas soon. But we already have open spaces in our sobremesa. So if you've been longing for sobremesa, I don't see people with your phones. Get your phone and start scanning that QR and fill, the, fill it. If you are online, just fill it. Because we've been working hard for this. But it's not a matter of one person. The church is not one person. It's all of you, all of us, all of those who are out. And the Lord wants to use you. I'm very glad to announce in February, we're going to be launching our college groups. And we are going to have people actively seeking the Lord, having vibrant prayer, actively doing outreach, and just coming alongside, making community. But then our prayer is to have all these college students coming to our Sunday service so they can be filled with the word that we have here and they can get plugged in the other areas. So whenever you see a college student, can you engage with them and invite them to just walk alongside with you? Are you ready, church? Are you ready? to take charge what is the Lord calling you to do and you might be here just for a season you might be actually just a visitor let me tell you this being a disciple of Christ it more, it's more than just a Sunday service it's what we are who we are what others witness in us during a Sunday morning should be an echo of our daily walk with Jesus. Let me pray for us. Señor Jesús, gracias por nuestra familia. Gracias por cada uno de los que están aquí. Thank you, Lord, for each one of us in this place. We love you. We love you, Jesus. And we see what you want to do in this place. But it is not a one job person, a one person job. It takes all of us. So Father, it might be even be part of a sobre mesa or of a Bible study. Maybe that's what we need right now. Or it might be signing up for our children's. All I know, Lord, is that this group of people wants to please you, wants to glorify you. So let this morning be an encouraging for all of us that we are not done that there's still job to do. We might have one more day in this place. We might have so many years still to go. We are not done. 
No matter what others have said, or if we think that we are not qualified, we are not done. The gospel still needs to be preached. And you want to use us, Lord. So can I invite you, church, this morning to just for one moment, can we stand up and can we say, Lord, here I am. It might be the day that you've been waiting. Maybe you've been waiting for someone from leadership to come to you. No, no, no. Jesus is telling you, I want you. You're not done. So just tell the Lord, Lord, here I am. It might be serving in an area of need. It might be with your neighbor, with your friend, with your enemy. Just tell the Lord, here I am.